Okay, guys, we're in Lesson 6 of our Basics of the Christian Life, and we're going to look at the second part of the issue of prayer. We're actually going to spend one more week after this week talking about prayer. So I want to kind of bring everybody back up to speed. What do we When we talked about prayer last week, we talked about the reasons why we avoid prayer, and one of the reasons why we avoid prayer is our human tendency. You know, when we do wrong, if we do somebody wrong, and we know that we do somebody wrong, we get into the avoidance issue. We want to avoid that person. You know, I was just talking to somebody this week. Uh, none of us like confrontation, do we? You know, you know we just soon put that off. Sometimes you have to, and uh, you got to do it, but if you can avoid it, you can avoid it. You'll, you will. You'll just flat out do that. And if you hurt somebody, nobody wants a confrontation, so you'll avoid them. You'll be in... You'll be in Walmart, and you'll be, ah, there they are, four aisles over, ah, I'm out of here. You know, you're gone. And our avoidance issue. The other thing is sin. Obviously, that causes the avoidance issue. But some other attitudes. We talked about that all last week. What we're going to do now is we're going to talk about approaching God. We're going to talk about why we can approach God in prayer. Because remember, I told you that the Christian life isn't a set of actions to be completed but rather, the Christian life is what? A relationship. It's a relationship with the living God. So we're going to talk today about approaching God, and then next week we're going to talk about the method for approaching God. So we're going to talk about some foundational truths today about why we should pray, okay, and why can we pray, and so forth. But first of all, a plea for realistic thinking. If we're going to talk about prayer... We got to be realistic in our thinking. So the first thing I want you to recognize is this: we need to get over it. You say, "What do you mean we need to get over it? What are you talking about, George?" Well, let's talk about what we talked about last week. Our tendency is to avoid God because of our what? Sin. We don't like confrontation. If we're going to be realistic about prayer, the first thing you and I need to grasp is: is we need to get over that. You just need to get over it. Because here's the reality. If you want to write this down, God still loves you and still wants to have a relationship with you because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. Do you understand? And yes, you messed up. But here's the thing I want you to understand. His acceptance of you has nothing to do with you. His acceptance of you has to do with Jesus and his obedience in going to the cross. Does everybody understand? Like I was reading this week, I, I use uh, Oswald Chambers, my utmost for his highest, uh, in my devotional time. And that's a pretty good old devotional. I would recommend that to you. And, and, and the reality is, is one of the things Oswald was saying this week, it may have been two days ago, he was talking about our justification. And he says we're not justified because of what we do. You were justified because of what Jesus did. The issue is, is that Jesus was obedient first. Justification, our justification flows out of his obedience, not our obedience. Do you understand what I'm saying? Our acceptance with God flows out of 
Jesus' obedience to the cross, not our obedience, because are you perfectly obedient? I mean, does anybody here, I mean, I know there are some people who believe this. Is there, is there anyone here that can really rationally, without being laughed at, say, well, I didn't sin at all this week? Do you know what I'm saying? Can anybody say that? I did not do anything wrong this week. Nobody can say that. And see, even the smallest sin is a sin against God. So if it was based on us, we'd have no standing. But it's not based on us. It's based on who, folks? Jesus. So we got to get over it. We got to quit avoiding prayer. We got to quit saying, oh, "I don't think really God wants me to." I don't really think he. I just don't feel like God loves me today because of me, and and I don't think He really wants to hear from me. Baloney. He wants to hear from you. In fact, it's interesting. He tells us to pray, but He also tells us that He knows what we have need of before we even ask. So Jesus, God already knows what we're going to pray about, but He still wants to hear from us. Now, think about that. How many of you remember your kids, especially when they were little, and you knew what they were going to ask you, and you let them ask you, didn't you? Why? Because it felt good for them to ask you. Even though you knew what they were going to ask, and even though you knew, you may have already answered it, or that you were going to answer it. Do you understand what I'm saying? Here, here's, I, want to, I want you to get a picture of this. Think about Psalm 37. I think it's verse 23, 24, maybe 25. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in them. He takes pleasure in, them, in him. So here's what it's saying. God takes pleasure in your life. You bring pleasure to God. That's an awesome thought, isn't it? You and your life bring pleasure to God. Now, don't you think he wants to hear from us? He doesn't disown us because of our sin. So, we got to get over it. we got to get over it. Now, here's what we need to do. Number two, we need to change our thinking concerning prayer. The reason why we get hung up on prayer is because we've got a wrong definition or a wrong line of thinking concerning prayer. And we need to get over that. That prayer is nothing more than talking to God. It's talking to the creator of the universe. It's talking to the only God. And so when we, I mean, if you view, for instance, let's be honest, if you're a Muslim, and you're required to pray how many times a day, folks? Five, I think, five or six times a day. If you're a Muslim and, you're, and you miss that, what are you thinking? First of all, their concept of God is not our concept of God. God is not a loving God. God is not a forgiving God. God is a God who will deal with you. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? So our whole concept of God should affect our way of thinking. But many Christians think about prayer the same way a Muslim thinks about prayer. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's something that I need to do to appease God, to make sure that I'm accepted by Him. Folks, 
again, let's get over it. Let's change our whole line of thinking. Your acceptance with God is not based upon how much you pray. You're already accepted, so you can pray. Do you understand what I'm saying? So, okay, let me ask you a question. Forget whether or not you like who the dude is who's president. But let's say you had this, you had this privilege. How many remember back in the nuclear war age when they had the red telephone? The hotline to Moscow, okay? Everybody remember that? Most young people don't know that anymore. But the rest of us who are old remember the red phone. Let's say he has a blue phone there. And the blue phone goes to you. And you could pick up the blue phone anytime and say, you know, hey, hey, Brock, I really don't care for what's happening in my county today. I mean, can you do something about this? You know? But give me a hard time about my license tag. You think you could take care of that? I mean, let's say you've got a direct line. Would you use it? Bruce is honest. He would use it. Well, you'd use it. Now, that seems ridiculous, doesn't it? That you would have that direct access to the president, right? Seems ridiculous, right? Folks, you got a line to the God of the universe who controls the hearts of kings like he would control the direction of a river. It's not that ridiculous. I mean, it's ridiculous to think I can connect with Barack Obama. That's ridiculous. It's ridiculous to think I can connect with the governor. Or even even a local representative. You know, do, you don't, do you understand what I'm saying? The reality is, is that you have 24-hour access to who? God. Who's got a lot more clout and a lot more power than those dudes? Do you know, do you know what I'm saying? In fact, they have their power because the Bible tells us in Daniel because he's the one who gives them that power. Do you understand what I'm saying? So we've got to change our whole thinking concerning prayer. Now, again, we need to recognize that prayer is not a religious ritual or exercise. We need to recognize that prayer is not a religious ritual or exercise. It's not. Now, the rest of the religions of the world and the rest, and even some within our Christendom view it that way. But for us who are Bible-believing Christians, believers, Christ followers, we need to get over this idea that it's a religious ritual or exercise. It isn't. So, we need to recognize that prayer is not a religious ritual or exercise. Here's what prayer is. Prayer is talking to God just as we would talk to what? Anyone else. So remember, a few weeks ago we talked about the Christian life and I likened it to a, like a marriage relationship. How many of you do this with your spouse? There's you, you're going into the room with your spouse and here you are. You, you get down on your knees. Oh, wonderful magnificent spouse. Hear your servant. How many of you do that? Oh, you... How did that work for you? 
Are you still paying for that one? Okay. <laughs> How many of you do that in your relationship? Nobody. How many of you do this in your marriage? Your wife comes in, talks to you, and you say, oh, I'm sorry, all my appointments are booked up for right now. I'll give you the 4.30 slot. Yeah. How many of you do that? Does that work? No, when she comes in, she expects what? To be listened to when? Yesterday. You know, right now. Do you understand? So, I mean, that's a relationship. Okay? That's a relationship. So, you and I have to begin to view prayer as a component of a relationship. It's the communication component of a relationship. It is simply talking to God the same way that you would talk to who? Anyone else. Anyone else. So, prayer is talking to God. So, let, let's just get that. It. So, Here's, here's, the, here's the reality, though. If we're going to be realistic, we can only change our thinking with biblical truth. Now, the problem is, is that all of these things I've just shared with you, you're going to say, yeah, I see what you're saying, George, and yeah, I agree. But we always default to behavior that we know. And if you were raised viewing prayer as a ritual, you're going to default to that behavior. No matter how much you may agree yeah, it's simply talking to God, but before you know it, you're back to what you already know because you're going to default to behavior that you've learned. If you've learned it as a ritual, it's going to become a ritual. You understand what I'm saying? If you've learned to operate by the concept that God doesn't love me and can't accept me because I'm what I'm doing, you're going to avoid prayer. Does everybody understand me? Now, how do I, so if I'm going to default, even though I acknowledge everything you just said, George, if I'm going to, def, if I'm going to default to proper behavior and proper thinking, how do I change my thinking then? Well, the Bible tells us that we renew our minds through what? Through the Scripture. The Holy Spirit renews our minds through the Scripture. So what we're going to spend the rest of our time then is we're going to talk about some foundational truths concerning prayer. So I want you to notice with me, it's in your in this worksheet I gave you, Hebrews chapter four, verses fourteen through fifteen. Look at what it says here. This is a pretty foundational thought here. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. So that's, first of all, the first foundational truth we've got to understand is the whole concept of a high priest. First thing I want you to see is, is we have a high priest who intercedes for us. So if I'm going to change my mind about prayer and talking with God, I've got to grasp some foundational truths in my mind. And the first foundational truth that you've got to grasp in your mind is, is that you have a high priest who intercedes for you. Now, some of you maybe here are from a, from a Roman Catholic background, and so you're, you're familiar with the whole concept of confession, where you will go to the priest and make confession to you for you your sins, and he intercedes for you. That's really not in the Scripture. The Scripture talks about a high priest, though. We do have a high priest who does intercede for us that we can go directly to. 
Who is that? Well, he tells us right here in this passage that our high priest is Jesus Christ. So I want you to think about it. He died for us in obedience to God, satisfied God's wrath, forgives us, cleanses us, gives us eternal life. And then here's what he does. He intercedes for you and I. Now, why does he need to intercede for you and I? Anybody have any clue why he needs to intercede for you and I? Why does Jesus need to continually right now intercede for us? Anybody got a clue? What is it about us that he needs to intercede for us? Sin. We still sin. Remember what I told you. I mean, how many of you could say, I haven't sinned in the last year? That in itself is a sin. Why? First John says, if we say we have no sin, we're what? We're liars. The reality is, is that we sin. So he's making intercession for us. In fact, listen to what 1 John says. 1 John chapter 2, My little children, these things I write to you, so that you may not sin. So first of all, he's writing and he's saying, Guys, don't sin. But look at what he writes there. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins, And not only for ours only, but also for the whole world. So he's saying, don't sin, but if you sin, don't understand something. You've got an advocate. Who's the advocate, folks? Jesus. Now, that word advocate, we understand from our culture, could be the same thing as a lawyer. So how many of you, I I won't ask, don't raise your hand. I I don't need to know, but how many of you have ever had a need for a lawyer? And you've gone to a criminal court or case or whatever, blah, 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 okay? Civil course or whatever. And what does a lawyer do? He represents you and he intercedes for you before who? The judge. And depending on how good a lawyer he is, sometimes can depend upon how well you get out of there. You know, so the reality is, listen to me, we've got somebody who intercedes for us. And why can he intercede for us? Why is it, what makes Jesus so special that he can intercede for us? Well, the passage tells you, he's the what? The propitiation for our sins. Now, what in the world does that mean? Well, that's a big Bible theological term, and here's what it means. Wrath satisfier. Jesus is the wrath satisfier. Now, whose wrath did he satisfy? God the Father's. In fact, there's a beautiful passage of Scripture that I think is so beautiful from the prophet Zechariah. It's in your sheet there. Let me read it to you. It's in the Old Testament, Zechariah chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. This is the picture of what Jesus does for us, folks. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the, the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord has chosen Jerusalem, rebuke you. Is not, is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments, was standing before the angel, and he answered and spoke to those who stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. 
And he, to him he said, See, I've removed your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with rich robes. And he said, Let them put a clean turban on your head. And so they put a clean turban on his head, and they put clothes on him. And the angel of the Lord stood by. Here's what I want you to see. Isn't that a beautiful picture? That's what God does for us. Satan stands. Who, remember, what's, who's Satan? He's the what? The accuser of the brethren. Satan's there saying, Hey! Hey, God, look at what he did. Look at what she's doing. Boy, there really must not be your kids. You sent somebody to die for that? Guess what? He's rebuked. You know what? I want you to underline this. A pluck, is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Folks, that's you and I. What's the fire we got plucked from? Hell. You realize that? We were going to hell. And because of salvation and God's grace, we were plucked from that. Isn't that awesome? That's a picture of salvation. And then notice what else it says there. Then, I mean, the Lord says, take his what? Filthy garments from him. Isn't that how we see ourselves? We look in the mirror, we know we've done wrong, that's why we can't go to prayer, it's because we're looking there and we say, oh man, I'm not worthy, man, God doesn't want to hear me, because we see the junk in our lives. But God says, take the filthy garments from and put on rich robes. And he says what? Your iniquity has been removed. Folks, your iniquity has been removed by Jesus. We've got a high priest. I think it's pretty clear. When you look at that passage, it says the angel of the Lord stood by. The angel of the Lord, folks, is Jesus. It's the pre-incarnate appearance of Christ there. He's our advocate. And just like Joshua, a brand plucked from the fire, given a new robe and a new turban, you're going to get a new robe. New righteousness. It, it was given to us. Not because... Because why? Our old, we had to have the other stuff removed from us. So when you think about it, think about why we don't go to prayer. Because we don't think we're worthy, we want to avoid because of our sin. Folks, why in the world do we have that? That thinking comes from the Satan himself to keep us from prayer. Because when you look at what Jesus has done for us, what is it? He knows we're going to sin, so what does he do? He advocates for us. He, he intercedes for us. Because we're brands plucked from the fire. Isn't that an awesome thought? Isn't that totally awesome? That's how God sees you. So then notice with me, the next section there is, okay, we, some basic truths. The first truth is a high priest. The next truth is the whole issue of our salvation. We need to cling to the reality of our salvation. 1 Corinthians 15.2 says this, by which you are saved, if you hold fast to the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. We need to cling to the reality of our salvation. Now let me just stop for a moment. What does that mean? Can I be honest with you? For most people today, salvation is simply a fire insurance policy. I got that heaven thing taken care of later. But for most Christians today, and it possibly is true even right here today for you, most of us do not grasp that salvation is not just later on. You're living salvation right now. Does everybody understand me? 
Salvation is relevant to you right now where you're at. The gospel is relevant to you right now where you're at. So you've got to grasp that. So you've got to get to the place where you are clinging to the reality of your salvation right now. I'll give you a personal example. God, God's really dealing with me in a lot of areas. I don't need to get specific with you guys, but He's dealing with a lot of, you know, it's interesting. I'm 45, going on 46 years old. A few months here, I'll be 46. And you think by this time, you've you got it all figured out. Thanks, Bruce, for telling me no. Okay? The, the reality is, is you don't. Here's what I'm noticing. As I'm getting older, I'm becoming more introspective of who I am. And I believe it's the Holy Spirit that's causing me to do this. Because ultimately, sanctification is that I become like who? Jesus. That's true for all of us, isn't it? So in my life, here's what the Holy Spirit's doing. He's making me realize and reconsider truths that I've always known, but new areas that I've never applied them to in my life before. Let me, I'll, I'll, I will give you an example of what I'm talking about. Now, I was raised in a home of an alcoholic. And uh, I'm not sure why my dad did this, but this is the way my dad was. Maybe he thought this was the way to toughen up his boys or whatever. Okay, But all of my life, I remember two things. All of my life, number one, I never remember being told I love you. And number two, I remember always being told I would never amount to anything. Never amount to anything. Now that is a burden, folks, to lay on your children. Because I'll be honest with you, what I have done... Is, and my dad's been dead 25 years. I've been trying to disprove that all of my life. And now here I am, 45, and I'm realizing that. Man. And see, here's what the gospel does to me. Because what can happen is, is we default to behavior that we learn. I can assume a reality, and I think I have sometimes, a reality about God, that God is like my earthly father. And that I've got to prove myself to God. But here's what the freedom of the gospel is. And I was just thinking about it this week. The freedom of the gospel is, is that Jesus did everything for me. And my acceptance is based upon Jesus, not upon me. And it doesn't matter what I achieve in this life. God's going to love me and accept me anyhow because of Jesus, not because of me. That's a freeing thing, folks. That's the gospel. The gospel is salvation to me right now. Not just later on when I go to be in heaven. We talk about heaven. Woo! We talk about, yeah, it's going to be great. But is that all there is to Christianity is later on? What about right now? The gospel is relevant right now, folks. Those are the things that he's dealing in my life about. Do you understand what I'm saying? Those are the things that he's dealing in my life about. So we need to cling to the reality of our salvation. Let's go on now. We need to understand our salvation. What do you mean we need to understand? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says this, For by grace you have been saved, through faith, that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. It has nothing to do with us, folks. 
It's never going to have anything to do with you. The moment you think it has something to do with you, you don't grasp salvation. You don't understand it. Salvation is a complete gift. In fact, here's the point. Our salvation is something we did not deserve. We don't deserve salvation. See, that's something we've got to grasp, because sometimes we can enter into our minds and say, oh, I'm not half bad. I didn't grow up on the wrong side of the track. Not like one of these other people or whatever. No, no, you and I have to grasp something. Every one of us deserve hell. Period. And so salvation is something you should not... You, we shouldn't even been an option for us, but God in His grace reached out to us. And so sal- salvation is something that we don't deserve. Here's the other thing. We appropriate our salvation through faith. It's through faith. It is, And it, faith is more than just a belief, folks, because I'm going to be honest with you, there's a lot of people that believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that He died on the cross and rose again, but they're not saved. Mental ascension does not save you. It's more than just a belief with the mind. It's a commitment of the heart. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's it's a commitment of the heart. Faith is a commitment in Christ in spite of everything else. So, we appropriate that through our faith. It's not because of who you are, not because of what home you got raised in. It's not because you got baptized or walked an aisle or said a prayer. All of those things are an expression of salvation. They're not the means for salvation. And so here's what I want you to see. Faith involves our heart and mind. It's two different things. It involves our heart and our mind. So then, let's keep going on. We're going to understand, salvation is not based on us. Aren't you glad for that? And here's what I want you to see. Here's the good another point. Our salvation is a pure gift of God. A pure gift of God. Now, does anybody know what I mean by a pure gift? No strings attached. What were you saying over here? Without spot or blemish, okay? It's really what, what um, Rob is saying over here. No strings attached. Because how, ma- how many of you, how many of you dads know Christmas? How many of you love Christmas? You know, I love Christmas too. And, and especially when you get those gifts from your kids. Aren't you glad ties are out now? Cheap cologne, okay? Old Spice. And, you know, and it's because they got to get dad something, Okay? But really, when they give it to you, they're like, here, Dad, here's your gift. What'd you get me? Do you understand what I'm saying? There's a big string attached because they're really more excited about who getting a gift. Themselves. Is that a pure gift? No. You don't understand? I mean, you do something nice for your sweetie at home. And she says, what do you want? didn't do this for the whole last year. Why now? Because she recognized that gift ain't what? Pure. Here's what the pure gift of God is. Salvation is a pure gift of God because He doesn't expect anything in return. There's no strings attached. Isn't that awesome? Now, let's go on then. 
We cannot do anything for our salvation. Again, grasping it, you can't do anything for your salvation. So, okay, now I've, I've got the basic truth of him being a high priest. I've got a basic truth and understanding of my salvation. There's one other area that's going to give us a basic truth, foundational truth, if I'm going to approach prayer in a proper way. And that's, number one, his understanding. Here, let me, let me, before I give you the two points, let's, let me put it this way. Let's say you're going through a problem. Some of you here maybe are going through a problem. Let's say you're going through a problem. Who are you going to talk to about your problem? Is it some guy who has no clue and who's totally indifferent to you, and it's almost like you're wasting his time when you're talking to him, or are you going to go to the guy or gal who understands completely what you're going through, knows your feelings, is sympathetic to you, and understands you? Who are you going to talk to about your problem? The first guy? How many of you say the first guy? If you do, we need to talk to you. Because that's called a glutton for punishment, okay? You're going to go to a guy who understands you. Listen, folks, the reason why I can go to prayer is not just because he's my high priest. It's not because of my salvation. It's because he understands me. Okay, here's two thoughts here with that. How does he understand me? He understands our weaknesses completely. Think back to what it said there in Hebrews. For we have a high priest, what? Who, who, does not, who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. He understands our weaknesses completely. So I want you to think about it. Every one of you here has an issue you struggle with. Because nobody here is perfect. You have a sin that you give into all the time. And it drives you nuts. And it is the reason why you oftentimes think that God doesn't want to spend time with you. Now, here's what I want you to listen to me. I want you to understand something. He already understands that weakness in you. So guess who I can talk to about my weakness? Isn't that awesome? He understands you. Even your spouse doesn't understand you the way God understands you. I mean, he says he knows the numbers of hairs that we have on our head. He, with that, he knows how many are falling out of my head on a daily basis, you know. I mean, the reality is, is God knows us. He knows our weaknesses completely. Here's the other thing. He was tempted as we are, yet without sin. Because somebody could say, well, okay, so he understands us, but man, he doesn't know what it's like to live. Yeah, he does. He was human. He was tempted also. But here's the reality about his temptation. He didn't sin, though. It's okay. All right, let's take all these truths here. What am I going to do with these truths? Here's what I want you to understand, folks. You and I have the greatest privilege in the world that not everybody in the world has. We have the greatest privilege in the world to be able to talk to who? God. You say, well, I'm not sure about that. Then again, we're defaulting to bad thinking, 
And here's the reality. The reality is, is that I have a high priest who intercedes for me. Even when I mess up, especially when I mess up, he's interceding for me. My salvation, my acceptance with God is not based upon me. So I can go. In fact, Hebrews says this, let us go boldly into the throne room of grace. Think about that. Because of our high priest, we can go what? Boldly. Now, what does that mean? Like, how many of you said, I'm going to talk to Barack, and you go, and you get in your car, and you drive down, and you smash through the gate at the White House, and you run into that, and you, and you, you think you're going to make it to the Oval Office? You probably ain't going to make it out of the car. You know what I'm saying? Because they're going to shoot you dead. I mean, you know that. But the Scripture tells us we can come boldly into what? The throne room of grace. God's throne room. And talk to Him about the stuff on our heart. That's what our salvation is. And here's the thing. I also grasp it because I know He understands me. There is one person who completely understands me. Who knows me better than I know myself. Isn't that awesome? So here's what we're going to do next week. Next week when we look at the issue of prayer, our final week of looking at prayer, we're going to talk about how to pray. We're going to talk about what Jesus says about the manner and the method of prayer. Okay? All right, so let's close our time in prayer, and we'll get ready for the morning worship service.